Welcome back. Episode 12 of the podcast. Can you believe I haven't been canceled? 12 episodes I get to do this. I'm Steve Govett. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, doing the TFL podcast. Uh, we love to have guests on from around the National Lacrosse League's history. And these two guys represent the Rochester Nighthawks in a big way. They were the heart and soul of that entire Rochester Nighthawks group uh, with Paul Gate and Dewey Jacobs and a number of other guys, which we'll all get into uh, in the future. But so excited to have uh, Reggie Thorpe and Randy Mearns uh, from the history of our game. Certainly Canada, U.S., as it crossed the border, you guys were uh, at the forefront of bringing pro lacrosse uh, to the city of Rochester and beyond. So thanks, guys, for being here. Excited to have you, and uh, let's get into it. Perfect. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. So I was thinking in the shower, because I think about you two in the shower a lot, yeah. and I was thinking this morning, what we have here, and I'm glad that we, they wore the shirts that they wore, because cur two current coaches of their – respective countries, right? The Team Canada head coach uh, for the outdoor team and then the Team Canada indoor coach um, in Reggie for, for or sorry, Team USA indoor coach, my bad, um, for, for international competition. I mean, you guys are at the pinnacle of the game. And what I was super excited about was, was just this juxtaposition here. Mernzai coaching outdoor for Canada and Reggie coaching indoor for the U.S. and and one's Canadian, one's an American, but you're kind of coaching in the opposite guy's realm, if you will. Reggie, obviously, a long history at, at Syracuse and and coached there and and all that fun stuff, and and had an illustrious career playing Mernzai, an illustrious career playing indoor and and box lacrosse, and have moved on to coaching, uh, you know, at Canisius for a number of years, and now you're at St. Bonaventure and. Uh, man, I'm. I just think it's crazy, and, and you guys both wore the shirts to match. <laughs> well, the, I think the thing is, is you know, when you kind of like look at uh, my wardrobe, the only thing that I have is actually lacrosse. I was actually thinking about what the hell I was going to wear today, and I'm going through and going through, and I didn't have a, actually a plain shirt, so might as well represent with the Canada one. There you go. Right? Well, it's funny. That's why I wore World Lacrosse because I knew both of you guys were representing each. <laughs> each of the, the genres of our sport and the countries in, on the mix. But um, when I left the Colorado Mammoth, I literally had no clothes. I Like when you leave, right? You left Canisius, Mernsey. It's like you got no clothes left. Same with Syracuse. You can at least, Reg, you can at least sport Syracuse because you're an alum. I got, a, I got a ton of Syracuse gear, but uh, no, it, it's been awesome. I mean, we certainly got some bragging rights from the U.S. from, from the field uh world games there a couple of years ago but mersey certainly has it for uh for the world indoors uh championship for whipping our butt so well <laughs> the fact of the matter is neither one of you guys had anything to do with either one of those wins so it don't matter <laughs> yeah, you're hey, pretty, you're pretty you're pretty much right you know when uh when, when you look at the team usa team uh canada kind of rivalry indoor outdoor and it's amazing because back in 95 when i look back at that first rochester team i was like looking at the just at the roster, I mean, phenomenal guys. But, you know, we are a pretty good mix. You know, we had 10 American guys. We had, like, seven Canadian guys. And we had, like, six Native American guys on that first original roster. And, uh, um, you know, and, and then just as things kind of evolved and as this game just kind of grow and just to kind of see the opportunities that we've had and just to be a part of it, just an amazing experience. 
Yeah, that 95 team was a pretty good mix, Merns. I was, I was looking at it too there. We had certainly the good mix of Americans, Canadians, and Native Americans. It was pretty cool. I guess, I guess the kicker back in the day, though, with the Canadians in those first, you know, you know 95, 96, 97, because remember, for, for a good amount of that, we still didn't have guaranteed contracts, so you got paid, you know, per game. And so, you know, for the Canadian guys, like, did you really try to help out the American guys because the American guys were phenomenal athletes. And, you know, was there, was there that opportunity if you helped them out too much, as much as we all wanted to win, you know, all of a sudden they could just take your job. So it was this, this kind of like this balancing act, I think, <laughs> for that first year or two. It was really a, kind of a weird kind of metric, I think. That 95 team is pretty good. But what um, uh, do you guys want to talk a little bit about the final in 95? Or uh, 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 I, I knew you were going to bring that up. So. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Govett. That's great. Go ahead, Reg. Go ahead. I, I got a I got a bird's eye view of that. We're getting picked off, and Gary, you know, being a lefty, coming over on his, I think he was on end up on his uh, wrong side on the right side, and uh, put one through uh, through the uh, I think the knees of Chugger there. But uh, that was a great game. I mean, back and forth all the way. I mean, great crowd at the at the old uh, Spectrum there, and uh, I think Rexy was it Rexy or, or Ryder? Rex Lyons or Ryder tied it up late, right? Tied it up, yeah, late, late, like that. And then, it was uh, wasn't yeah. it like a cluster behind the net and all sorts of the net got knocked off and the ball went in and it was controversial, but he ties it up late, sends it to overtime. And then something that we had been trying the entire game, Reg, because you were um, not a bad defender. Uh, <laughs> we've been trying the same thing. The whole game hadn't worked. It finally works in overtime. But I guess uh, I didn't see the goal because I was on my butt. But uh, I don't think the video actually shows me on my butt. But uh, I certainly enjoyed – that game itself from a, a pinnacle of the sport in the Philadelphia spectrum, because I think um, we played, we ultimately played in, in the, what's now the Wells Fargo center, uh, not too, not too far after that, but that was the last championship that was won in that building. So um, yeah, thanks for that fellas. Appreciate it. Um, Mernsey, who put the stick in your hand for the first time? Uh, kind of be, uh, you know, my father and my brother, my brother, uh, seven years older, uh, you know, he's got cerebral palsy. So he kind of got into sports. He was a goaltender, right? He had the bad left chicken wing. Uh, and you know, you go down to the arena, you go down the old port bowl outside and you go watch the practices. And you know, the next thing you know, you, you got to pick up a stick because now Rob needs, uh, needs somebody to shoot on. And, uh, so that was, uh, you know, that was kind of the start of it. I just remember, you know, every once in a while, you're playing with the tennis balls in the backyard, and, you know, sometimes you didn't wear a jock, and you hit him in the sack, and then he would go run around with this big wooden <laughs> stick, and my old man would come out. He's, he's a factory worker. He's drinking some beers, and, you know, he'd have to, you know, save myself from my brother because I think he would have took my head off. Is your brother still around, Mernsey? Yeah, yeah, still around. He's up in, uh, you know, St. Catharines. Uh, you know, I, I got a – in my brain, he's kind of like my biggest fan in some sense. But uh, he was kind of like my inspiration because for him, you know, when I was growing up, you know, at that time, he ended up getting into a lot of the Paralympics and, you know, represented Canada, you know, for about eight years at the Paralympics. And, you know, when, when I was growing up, it was, you know what, you didn't complain about things, you know, and then if I started to, you know, whine or bitch, complain about stuff, like he just looked at me like, well, what are you bitching about? Like, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, so... You know, you just uh, – you work for everything that you got, and that was just the big life lessons that he taught me, you know. Hey, Reg, what, what about you? How did you get started in the game? 
Well, we are going to uh, to Marjax, which is an old sporting goods store uh, out in Auburn, west of Syracuse. Uh, my brother was playing uh, modified lacrosse, eighth grade lacrosse, and I was in the seventh grade, and I never played lacrosse before, and we went with my mom and my brother, and uh, she asked if I want to get one too, so I ended up getting one. So actually, my brother Rory got me into lacrosse there, and that never played. I picked up a stick, and I continued to play after that, and, and Rory, you know, he ended up running a, a big, big wrestler and running track and outdoor. I played a little bit of lacrosse, but but not much. <laughs> Is Rory your biggest fan? Uh, yeah, I mean, I got three older brothers. You know, Rod, Rod Ricky, Rory, Reggie. So, you know, four You got four beat hours. up a lot. Did you get beat up yeah. a lot? That's why <laughs> oh, yeah. you're so damn tough. <laughs> I was the uh, I, I was the youngest of four, but uh, all my brothers are. You know, I mean, they're they they're just they were great to me. I mean, they weren't great to me. I mean, they rolled me up in a wrestle mat when I was younger. They chased me around with snakes. So. My, my wife asked me why I'm claustrophobic because they, they rolled me up in a friggin' wrestle man, left me there all the time. But hey, you, you, you had to get tough, you know, you had to get, get up early to, to, to get the cereal and, uh, you know, learn, learn some good work ethic from, from my brothers. Was the 2001 Heritage Cup, I can't remember if it was 2001 or 2002 Heritage Cup, was that a highlight of your career? 100%. I mean, you, you put the roster together, you know, and, uh, you know, especially being Canadian, it was a little awkward for you probably, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it, it was a, it was a great group, you know, and uh, just to go up there and um, have all those, you know, to, to, to be in a game with all those uh, all-star Canadians, you know, and, and uh, it was, it, it was special and it was a special group. And I know you're part Roger, of it. You were you in that game, were you? Mm-hmm. What, what, what was the, what was, was it uh, the Heritage Cup? I don't believe so. I know I was in an all-star game one hey, time. Reg? Isn't that funny how all the Canadian guys are around that time don't remember that game? <laughs> I don't think I, was, I don't remember that yeah, game. Yeah, it was, Wasn't that? It was like twenty-six to nine or some damn thing. And and the reason I got set up to do that was because uh, uh, Stan Cockerton and Johnny Meridian wanted to put together this this indoor world event, and I was in the U.S. I'd been in the U.S. for a long time, and I was running. You know, I had a lot of U.S. connections with with the wings and the power, and you know, ultimately the mammoth, and and uh, it was it was an opportunity to kind of look. I've been a huge proponent of U.S. box lacrosse for a long time, and um, so that was I was kind of the first GM of U.S. indoor and put together what I think, as we look back, Reg, a pretty impressive roster that even today could compete with any NLL team. Um, with names like Stilly and Hanford and Jalbert and Reese and yourself and uh, Kevin Finneran and Dwight Mecky and goal. Man, I mean, Mike Regan, Tim Sudan, the, the list of guys was Marshall Abrams. Like that, that was such a great roster. Yeah, it, it really was. And it was pretty cool for me because uh, my son Gail came up with me that weekend. So uh, he's actually in that photo on my shoulders there. It was, it was, it was an awesome time. And Again, just to to to, uh, to upset them was a was a was a definitely a, a a great moment. Well, they can't take it away from us. <laughs> I end up now. I'm on the other I side. He wants to say something, so <laughs> I know. Well, he no, does. I, got, I got I got crickets. I got crickets. Like I it's a scrimmage. Scrimmage. It's a scrimmage. <laughs> he I doesn't even remember the game. game. Yeah, I don't even remember. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> so when you walked into the locker room for the first time in the in the MILL back in the day. You know, Mernsey, what was that like? What, what, tell me the first time you walked in the locker room. Oh, God, that was uh, that was Buffalo Bandits 92 going into 93, that 90 season, 93 season. They had just won. Uh, being at Canisius, got to watch Derek Keenan and Kevin Alexander and Richie and Darius Kilgore and all the boys uh, back in the day where all of a sudden Buffalo got to host the home game. 
uh, because they were selling out. Uh, and uh, I remember walking into the, you know, just to that first practice and going, like, wow, like this is like some pretty legit talent. You know, I, I kind of felt because I played with a lot of those guys during the summertime, you're like, yeah, you know what? I think that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, I, I can kind of cut the roster because for me, it was just kind of like, wow, like there's actually 16, 17,000 people at the old odd, you know, that first year in Buffalo. And it was like, wow, you know, where you're playing in Canada and you're playing junior and, you know, if you get to the Minto cup, maybe you're playing in front of 1500 fans. Typically it's three or 400. And it was just like, wow, this is like professional lacrosse, you know? And, uh, it was uh, it was a pretty amazing experience, but then you found out pretty quickly that that these American guys, because typically that Buffalo team was really stacked with more of the Canadian kind of group, was like wow, like like these guys are big, these guys are athletic, um, and uh, you know, and, and it was just it was such an amazing experience to kind of sit there and say like, do you really fit, you know? Um, and then at that time back in the day, I mean, it's a little bit more self-deprecating since I was a smoker. I kind of figured out somewhere along the lines of where I could go in and maybe have a quick demorier, uh just in the bathroom. So that's old school stuff. You know, I try to wean myself off. I'm good now, but that was, I kind of felt like I was the Guy Lafleur back in the day. <laughs> Guy Lafleur, you were. How about Reg? You came out of an amazing career at Syracuse, and, and obviously that's a storied program um, where, you know, it, that's a lot of Final Fours, right? And uh, probably a couple championships under your belt and rings, um at Syracuse and then you go to to play indoor and it's it's a little less traditional yeah I mean it was uh actually I, I got out of Syracuse in 93 and I was Mark Burnham got me a tryout with the Buffalo Bandits in 94 and we had this huge snowstorm both or the the, the, the uh, tryout weekend and I never went I never went so then the following year you know uh Detroit Turbo's uh, or Rochester Knights were the uh, expansion team to the Detroit Turbos, which Mernsey knows. And, um, and so I ended up getting a call from, from Rochester there. And it, I mean, it was just an amazing experience. You know, I know remember Barry Powell's calling and asked if I want to try out. And he's like, Hey, you know what? Cross check people, pick up ground balls and, and, and work hard. You know, I'm like, well, I can do that. And I, I never played a box lacrosse game ever. And we, you know, we played some, you know, American field box, but uh, certainly never, you know, you know, real box lacrosse, but having guys like Mernsey, and Dewey and Peter Park and Brian Lemon and, and Chugger and having some of those veteran guys, Sudan, um, you know, just kind of help you along, even in, in like, you know, drills, which are pretty basic for, for you guys. You guys are Canadians. You guys grew up since you're five, you know, doing box drills. And I had no friggin' idea. So just even being in line waiting, hey, what, what's the next drill? You know, what side of the floor you should be on? And uh, right. the, the little things that the, the guys are really great about it. And they took me under their wing and, uh, and, and showed me a lot of to, to – everyone on that team that, that helped me out yeah to follow up on that reg i mean back in the day in those like mid 90s you know everything was you know obviously box across a lot of the pick and roll game the slip pick but at that time in field lacrosse you never ever really went and picked the ball not not like it is now you know it's kind of evolved into that where where i think that that was the whole pick and roll game you know for the american guys from a defensive perspective was like it was that was probably the biggest challenge defensive wise to kind of get used to either we're slipping, we're communicating. Um, and, uh, well, but, but I think the concept, over in, the, concept time, is, the concept in field, Mer field Mersey was you would never bring another defender to the ball carrier. Like right, that was ever. like the stupidest thing you could ever do. I remember going to my first practice in, in, uh, in college and I go to college and, and I cross check the shit out of somebody. And then I set a pick <laughs> on the ball 
and I thought I was going to get sent home on the next train. Like, <laughs> why are you here? You're an idiot. So, you know, it worked out, I guess. Um, how, how, much, how much when you were away did they try to get you to use your weak hand? Back well, they're the still trying to do that. I, right. You know, they're still trying to do that with kids, trying to get them to use their offhand or whatever. It's like, yeah, have you guys never watched the Gate Brothers play? Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't pretend to be Gary or Paul, but I can I, – I'm pretty okay with one hand. So, uh, it didn't seem to hinder a lot of guys and a lot of guys that are in college today that are doing okay with one hand. Cali BBQ is proud to be an official sponsor of your San Diego Seals. Buy our slow-smoked barbecue at any Seals home game or online anytime at www.calibbq.media. You know what, fellas? Like, did, you talked a little bit about teaching the Americans the game, which is inherently what we all like to do is teach and, and, and grow the game and help guys get better on our team that are going to be on our team and next to us. But was there like an inherent tension between the U.S. guys and the American guys? I mean, I, I don't, I mean, not on our team, you know, like I said, everyone, you know, they wanted to win and we had a great locker and great leaders like Mernsey and, and, and Dewey and Sudo. And like I said, I mean, big Peter Park back in the day. Right. I mean, those guys yeah. were, were great and they, they really, I, I think, you know, obviously the first, the first trial, there probably was a little bit of tension, you know, cause the Americans didn't know where the heck they were going. Probably besides Sudo cause Sudo was playing with the, uh, the Blazers, I think at the time. And got, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He'd come over from Boston. You're right. And got bumped up, but, but uh, so I, I think once we got through some of that, and they're like, you know, we're helping us out. It was, it was uh, there were there weren't many tensions. Well, and then I think as well as and as the roster kind of got decided, because back in that day there was eight games. I think we played eight games and then playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so so then you kind of got to bond a little bit. We had some you know weekend practices as the team kind of got selected, and you know then you're able to go out and get some dinner and you know, hang with the boys and have a few refreshments and, and you kind of get to know everybody and kind of realize, I mean, again, remember no internet back in the day. You know, I didn't know how great Reggie Thorpe was or Timmy Sudan. I'm like, you just kind of meet these guys going, I don't know, this guy's pretty gigantic. He's got good feet and I probably wouldn't want to, you know, go to the, go in the corner and get into a fight with him. And, uh, you know, so you sit there and you kind of like watch him and just, you know, so, so I think that all of a sudden we kind of got over this whole American Canadian thing. Cause we're just like, wow, like we're 20 guys. And, you know, and at the same token, we also had Paul Gates. So we knew we were in every game. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Rochester, one of the, one of the, uh, Reggie, I actually watched a game. You were probably in this game, but I watched highlights that made it to Twitter yesterday. That was uh, Syracuse played team USA in an exhibition game. And the highlights from that game are all about Gary and Paul. And it was, I mean, it was just funny to watch these two kind of beat up on on guys wearing the USA roster, you know, the USA uniform when they were with Syracuse. And they, you know, they couldn't have been more than 18, 19 years old at the time. And they're beating up on all these guys that were, you know, a lot older than them, a lot more experienced. You were probably in that game and saw it from one end of the field. Yeah, no, they're a few years older than me. I wasn't in that game, but I, I, I was actually there watching it. So yeah, they're, uh, they're men. I mean, they're, you know, it's just unstoppable, right? And, and having you know play with Paul, then playing against you know Gary for all those years, and you know playing with him at the tail end of my career. I mean, you know, I mean they're they're special players, you know, and uh, big, strong, and they only they they don't need two hands either. <laughs> so Rochester is like the Green Bay the Green Bay Packers of the National Cross League, right? It's kind of like that independent market. It, but you guys both had a long, illustrious career in Roch Vegas, which everybody calls Ro- Rochester, Roch Vegas. Talk about 
that market. Talk about why it was special in the NLL. Uh, well, for, from my perspective, I think that you, I mean, you really kind of got, I mean, back in the day, it, it's, you know, you really, you know, had had the opportunity to actually meet a lot of fans. I mean, we had Naver and the, the Nighthawk crew and, 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 and lacrosse, as much as there's a huge history of lacrosse in Rochester, it was more from the field standpoint with Nazareth and RIT and a lot of the colleges there. So I kind of felt like it was this natural kind of progression uh, from, from a box standpoint. And, and, and then you got to interact with a lot of the fans, you know, and again, it was relatively a little bit smaller. It wasn't the odd, you know, it kind of held that eight, 9,000, 10,000 people at the, at the blue cross. And, and uh, it was just a little bit, you know, it was, a, it was, it was kind of, it was just like homey. It was small. That you know, the crowd was right on top of you, um, and, and and they wanted the you know they they you know they they, they supported you. You know they supported. They came out. Uh, you know the, the arena was always packed, um, and uh, you know and, and and again it's just really trying to like put on a show. But at the end of the day, we're all we're all as we all kind of got together. We're just trying to win, you know. And um, and then after the games, just like old school stuff. You you know it's just different time maybe now, but. You know, you went back and you went back to the restaurants and you got to interact with the fans and uh, and get to really kind of know them. And then, you know, they would go out and talk to their friends and more people would come. And I just thought it was just such a special place. You know, and again, we had phenomenal players and phenomenal coaches. And, you know, we just always felt like we were we were in contention to win, even with that mix of group, that mix of, of you know, Americans, Canadians and Native Americans. So, Reg, how about you? Because obviously you're a Syracuse guy and and, you know, Roch wasn't very far away uh, from where you grew up, right? So how how did how did that make you feel that that whole hometown feel for you? It was awesome. I mean, where I live west of Syracuse, so it's pretty much fifty five minutes doorstep to the Blue Cross Blue Shield. But uh, it was I mean, it's, like Merv said, it was a smaller arena. You know, before they they uh, uh, you know they did some renovations. You know, I think it was like like Merv said, six, seven, eight thousand people, but very intimate. And then you know, everyone used to get a you know sponsored by Bud Light, a couple of Bud Light tickets after. So the post-game parties were unbelievable. I mean, we had like uh, Elvis playing and I mean, there was thousands of people at the hotel and they would rent out the, the ballroom. Remember Mernsey, the big ballroom? Yeah. And, and, and like, Mer, Mer, you just got to know everyone. You got to know, you know, uh, the fans, their, their kids, their, their parents, their grandparents. And, and it, it was really, it was really cool back in those days. It was, it was, you know, connected and made you feel special. I mean, we weren't getting paid a lot of money. I mean, that was back before the, uh, there's no PLPA, right? Mernzai? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry to bring that up, Steve, but, uh, <laughs> the PLPA, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, and, and it was just, uh, you know, it was just guys playing for the love of the game, you know, and, and, uh, going out after and, and very intimate with the fans and just getting to know everyone and, and kind of just build that from season to season. I mean, remember Gonzo, was it Gonzo Mernzai too? He was, yeah. He yeah. Was Gonzo, guy. Nabber. Yeah. Oh God. Just, just a ton of people, just a ton of people where, where if you seen them today, You'd be able to pick up on a conversation that maybe you didn't, you haven't yet, you know, yet, that you left in 2003, 2004. So what was your favorite road arena, though? I mean, I understand playing. And what I always found funny about the Rochester arena was that the, the center hung scoreboard wasn't sent, hung in the center. It was offset. It was like it was this really weird because the floor was really small, right? And then they extended it. They did a renovation. They extended it, but they didn't move the center hung. And so the center hung actually was like more over like one end of the floor. And it always it was always weird. <laughs> what favorite arena to play in other than Blue Cross in Rochester? 
Red, you want to take that one first? Uh, for for me, I mean, it's it's a, the spectrum and odd. I mean, there's you know, I mean, you know, Maple Leafs Garden was was, was fun to play in. You know, we had the last game there, right, Mern's eight. So yeah, yeah, let's uh, bring that up. Uh. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, but definitely like the, the the Buffalo odd was unbelievable. I mean, that place was always rocking. And then the Philly Spectrum. I mean, all packed barns. And and you know, when you when you ran out, you know. You know, fans yell, yelling at you that you suck, and it was it was it's just great. I mean, you got up for it, you know. So when you played in Buffalo, you played in Philly. I mean, it was you, you had to bring your A game plus to, to to contend. And then and then when team the home team would make their runs, I mean, you couldn't hear anything. So I mean, you know, my first game I remember in Buffalo, then in, in Philly. I mean, I was like, holy cow! And then then you got you know because you you play a couple seasons, you learn, and you, you help some of the younger guys out because when those momentum swings happen and those barns were that packed, I mean, you can't hear anything. And it's, it's, uh, and it breaks your back. How many athletes today in any sport, including, you know, the NLL or any other sport where you walk in that actually got excited about getting booed and getting yelled at? Like I, I loved going to the audit, you know, Buffalo auditorium because I just thrived on these people yelling at me. It was really weird. It's a weird kind of, you know, it was great to play at home, but I just love playing in the Buffalo auditorium because these people hated me. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and, the, and they were right on top of you back in the day, too. And and it was, you know, 16595 or whatever it held. Like, it was that, – that was just absolutely, you know, an awesome place to play. But but I, I think that it's, it, you know, kind of goes back to, you know, the, hey, if they're booing you, you kind of know that you made it. You're doing something right, you know. <laughs> so, if Govett's coming out, hey, you suck, right? Like, hey, hey right, I'm doing something right. I must have been doing a lot right because there are a lot of people <laughs> freaking swearing at me. You know? I, re- I remember we were playing in the uh, – it was the All-Star game that happened to be back in Rochester. And at that time, I think Polly Gate was in Syracuse, uh, went, to the, went to the Syracuse Smash, and we're at the All-Star game, and we're doing like, I don't know, the breakaway, you know, uh, this breakaway uh, competition. And the fans in Rochester are booing him. And we're like, he's like, why are you booing me? Like, I just spent three years, won you a championship – and uh, in the you know, skills competition in the all star right, skills competition, they're booing them. But uh, maybe that's uh, hey, you're, you're, you're just one of the guys when you start getting booed, that's for sure. <laughs> and, and then when you used to go to the, pen, the penalty box and the odd or, or the, the spectrum, I mean, you know, I spent a little more time there than you, Mernsey, but I mean, it was that was unforgiving, man. People chirping you, and <laughs> maybe a couple beers thrown out of your waters. It's, I mean, they, they, they were relentless, I mean, relentless. <laughs> Chopper in Philly, right? right? You probably spent a lot of time with Chopper in the penalty box and in uh, the Spectrum in, in Philadelphia. Yeah, it's it's after like six or seven years into my fifteen year career, like we actually became friends. So it was kind of like, hey, how you doing? How's the family doing? You know, it's like it was like small talk. You know, hey, good. Oh yeah, my son just graduated. <laughs> it was hilarious. I spent. I we won a championship in '94 in in Buffalo, and I ended up spending the night with the Cup. And and spent a long, long night drinking with a guy named Harvey and Chopper with the cup and myself. And I think the three of us like stayed up. Yeah, you know, drinking time and the time they closed the bars in Buffalo is four a.m. So like literally spent all night after the '94 championship drinking with those two knuckleheads and uh, and so got pretty friendly with Chopper. I went back a few years later when they when they resurrected the Wings franchise. 
and uh, you know he's still dressed up, still painting his face, and and uh, and and he's just, he's an he's an icon. You talk about who should go into the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. I actually think we should put Chopper in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> the guy's a complete icon in our game. A quick break. This episode is sponsored by Manscaped.com. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. If you've been listening to our channel for a while, you know that we are big fans of Manscaped and their Perfect Package Essentials Kit, which is the world's finest all-in-one manscaping kit that makes manscaping safe and easy. And just when you think they've got it all figured out, they take it to the next level. I'm excited to be one of the first to confirm that after 18-plus months of research and development, the new Lawnmower 3.0 Waterproof Body Trimmer has just been released and comes with a ton of new upgrades. Get 20% off plus free shipping from your Perfect Package 3.0 purchase when you use promo code SEALS20 at manscaped.com. That's code SEALS20 for 20% off at manscaped.com. Now, back to the pod. How would you describe each other's game? I mean, Mernsey, how would you, if you had to describe who Reggie was as a player, how would you do it? Oh, God. Uh, ferocious, tenacious. Uh, he could cover anybody. Um, you know, so it was great matchups, you know, obviously you're going against guys, you know, you know, the Gary, you know, Paul Gates, the Darius Kilgore, the Barris's of those kind of, you know, that kind of world. It was, we had that matchup guy defensive wise. I think he was a phenomenal team leader. Um, maybe in the early parts, not really vocally, uh, but mm -hmm. like just cared, you know, would put himself in the positions of just getting, you know, ground balls and loose balls and starting transition um, and, and one of the reasons why, you know, I think we, we, we were, you know, we got better defensive wise, you know, um, you know, it, it was like, it, we kind of felt like as much as we had Polly kind of on the offensive side of the ball. And it's kind of like, we got that guy. We had Reggie at the defensive side of the ball going, Hey, well, we got that guy too. Um, and, uh, you know, he just, he just brought that to the table. And I think as, as he got more comfortable in terms of, you know, playing box across on the defensive side of things, um, you know, then I think that's where he started to find his voice a little bit more and really kind of, you know, provided a ton of leadership to the squad, you know, as we grew as a team, you know. So, Reg, other than hacking butts, what was the best part of, uh, of Mernsey's game? Uh, I, I always said, you know, that the, the, the best two-man game in the business, you know, on the left side was, was Mernsey and Dewey Jacobs. I mean, those guys could run uh, a two-man game better than – I mean, we would see it in practice all the time. We know it's coming and they would still get us there, but – uh, Mernsey's just smooth, you know, and, you know, unbelievable leader, captain of our team there, a guy, you know, I looked up to, uh, immensely, you know, le learned so much from, uh, and just a, a gamer, right. You know, it just, just high lacrosse IQ always made, made the plays when they had to be, had to be made. And whether it's scoring a goal, getting a ground ball, setting a pick, you know, uh, chirping the, getting in the, in the refs here and, and getting a little momentum back our way, you know, he, he did it all for us, you know, and, but boy, him and Dewey could run a two-man game pick and roll textbook better than anyone. Besides, I would say Kimbo and Colin Doyle and Mernsey and Dewey were probably the the the, the best pick guys in the business there with the, the two-man game. They were pretty good. At, they were pretty good at it too. So if you could sit next to anybody in an NLL locker room, either present or past, from another team, who would you pick to sit next to? Yeah, for for me, it would be. Uh, you know, I, I, for me, it, it's it's Darius Gilgar. Mm -hmm. I I just felt Darius, and 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 maybe just because of having a, a long history of, you know, playing against him when we were you know six seven years old all the way up, you know, he played uh, with his brother Richie uh, in Niagara on a lake, 
Uh, you know, just, just, just what he brought to the table. Cause I just felt Darius Kilgore could do like absolutely everything. Take faceoffs, play the man up, play the man down, transition, play phenomenal defense. Punch you in the highly, face. Right. Punch, right. Highly competitive. And then we'll go challenge a bench and say, here, I'll just fight every one of you. Yeah. And, you know, throw that intimidating factor into it. You know, it's uh, just, just absolutely phenomenal. He'd be my guy. Mm-hmm. Reggie, how about you? Tough question. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, Corey Bomberry was, was always a, an awesome teammate, you know, Sean Williams, you know, Dewey Jacobs, I mean, any of those guys, you know, and, and certainly, you know, even Mernsey just mentioned, you know, Darius, I mean, Darius was, was a warrior, but you know, Dewey Jacobs, Corey Bomberry, Sean Williams, got to keep it within the Nighthawk family a little bit there, but any of those guys, but I mean, we said, we, we, we were just very fortunate. We always had great, great teammates and um, tough to pick out, you know, any single one, but, but if I had to, it would probably be Sean Williams. If you guys had to pick a rivalry that you guys had throughout the National Lacrosse League, whether it was with an individual player or a game or a team, or uh, what was your greatest rivalry story in, in our game? Uh, for, for me, that's probably Buffalo. So I think that there was one start of my career in Buffalo, ended up, uh, uh, ended, ended up in 95 back in Roch. Um, but, but I felt – for myself, a lot of the guys in Buffalo, because that was like the big brother. Rochester was kind of like, you know, the, the young sibling down the 90 in the small arena. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we played all those guys during the summertime, you know, for, at least for the Canadian guys. And there was nothing like trying to or beating the Buffalo Bandits. Because, you know, you've got guys like uh, old school Stevie Fennell going like, you know, talking about, you know, hey, let's go, Buffalo, let's go. And they would just say it over and over and over again during the summertime because they knew they were playing in the barn with 17,000 people. And, and you're like, ah. And uh, um, so, so for me, that 1997 championship game, uh, when, they, when we actually ended up beating them in the Marine Midland, uh, that, is, uh, that, that one's going to stick forever for sure. Yeah, the last game, that was a good one, 1997, right? That was a good one, Mernsey. Good yeah. One. Uh, I, I would say Buffalo too, Steve. I mean, I, I think also be, you know, early on, it seemed like we had a little something going with uh, the Boston Blazers a little bit, you know, Marty O'Neill, you know, slashing yeah. some guys and, you know, it was got a little, little rough there. We always had stuff with Philly, but Buffalo seemed to be the, where we get the biggest crowds, you know, where we get all of our fans, Rochester come up to Buffalo or Buffalo's, you know, coming down to Rochester. And then I think towards like the end of my career, it was, it seemed like Toronto a little bit, you know, it, you know, it seemed like, we couldn't get over that hump with Toronto, but then we finally got over the hump there. So, you know, I, I think that I'd have to agree though, you know, the, the, it seems like the mainstay was, was always Buffalo. Well, that, I mean, obviously the games that you guys had with Toronto and the old Maple Leaf garden and, and, you know, not to bring up another overtime loss. <laughs> Mersey, were you in that game? Yeah. 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 Actually my, uh, my, my son Tanner was born the Friday before the queen had, uh, what is it, toxemia. So she was in all kinds of cords and the whole bit. And uh, anyway, she, uh, you know, things ended up well. I watched the kid get born. Great, great, great. You're there. And, uh, and then I remember getting up that Saturday morning because it, it was a matinee in Toronto. That 2000 championship where uh, Caleb Toth ended up jamming one with one second left. And uh, God, like you just remember the losses. Like you just remember the losses. Like, but I got to tell you, it was the loudest I had ever heard an arena. In, in my personal opinion, when when Caleb Toth scored that goal in the Maple Leaf Gardens, 
you know, and, and again, being Canadian, the Maple Leaf Gardens was like, that's the, that's the Holy Land kind of thing. It, that, that was the loudest I had ever heard in an arena. And that, I got to like, tell you, that's one of, I think, probably one of the single greatest legacy games to be remembered in Canadian lacrosse history as a resurrection of large crowds and Maple Leaf Gardens and, and what that game represented and obviously them winning. And look, I remember back and you guys weren't involved in this game, but if you go back to Colorado Mammoth in 2003, our opening game against, against the Toronto rock winning in front of 16,000 people in overtime, double overtime where Brian Langtree throws one over Bob Watson's shoulder um, established the game in Colorado, and it may not have been, you know, the single greatest game in, in the history of the NLL, but certainly established the market pretty significantly. Um, and I think you can pinpoint that game, Rochester at Toronto, with Caleb Toth winning it as an iconic game in the history of, of the NLL, an iconic game in the history of the sport in Canada, but you guys were, you guys were there, obviously you didn't care whether it was an iconic game at the time. Um, and the beer probably didn't taste quite as good afterwards, but, um, that one had to be tough, but, but clearly as you look back, I mean, you guys have been involved in some pretty, you know, um, iconic games, right? Mernsey 98 finals in, in Baltimore. Those are all games that have defined the sport. Yeah, I, I would Fair agree. Yeah, I, 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 I just kind of feel, you know, you get into those, you get into those, uh, you know, those opportunities, and uh, you know, the the ones that sting. I mean, you brought it right off the, you know, right off the get go in '95, you know, down in Philly, like, and, and phenomenal crowd, and just like a hug, taking it to overtime, losing 15 to 14, and you know, you just, it just lives with you, and uh, you know, '97, you know, which was great for our side, we finally got over the hump. Um, you know, and I, and I kind of felt for myself, you know, in 93, because Buffalo being part of the bandits, um, we, we, you know, we won that year, but, uh, um, you know, I kind of felt like I had more of a significant role in 97. So it kind of like meant a little bit more to me, my, to myself personally. Uh, but then you go to the 99 and the two thousands and we had such a phenomenal squad. You know, we had John Grant Jr. He just came out of Delaware. We got Casey Powell rolling in. We got, you know, Danny Teat and, and Dewey and, you know, Stevie Dietrichs in the Nets force and Reggie and, you know, Jeremy Hollenbeck and like, God, we were so good. And just those two years, 99 and 2000, like, ah, we were so close. And, you know, it's just, uh, we, we just couldn't get over the hump, you know, to that, to that, to the Toronto Rock. I mean, but they were legit too. You know what I mean? With Colin Doyle and big Dan Latticer and Terry Bullen and, you know, uh, you know, Jimmy Veltman. I mean, you know, you, when you look back at those players, and then it's amazing now, you look, you know, 20 years down the road and, you know, just guys are in management, guys are coaching, guys are the scouts for, for, for all the teams in the league, so to speak. It's, uh, it's just a pretty amazing to kind of see that progression, yourself included, by the way. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm illustrious in my own uh, right, but whatever. <laughs> um, anyway, Reg, what, what were your thoughts about just that whole, that time? You know, it, it's uh, I, I remember the, the 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 last game in the May place, but I, I think I think didn't Casey score it? It was a good goal, and they called it back. And then I think I think Patty, I don't know if it was Patty Collier, someone let Casey up. It should have been a five minute, and they yeah, no five, five, oh minutes. yeah, right right across the face. So so I I, I remember a couple couple calls that could have went our <laughs> way and, and scored, but uh, I, I you know that that game was unbelievable. I mean, like it was sold out. I mean, it was loud as as heck. I mean, 
and on the bench there was there was no plexiglass for the, so you were we were on the bench and the fans are right here and i just remember this guy holding up a sign you know it is it's a sign that says american beer sucks and he stood there the whole game didn't say a word. all he said was american beer sucks the whole game and, uh, it, with the sign but uh but man, the fans were right there. There was no plexiglass, but it, it was loud. And you know, you look back on it. I know they did did something like it was an anniversary of a couple months ago. And to see some clips of that game, I mean, we we were right there. I mean, we to, to you know to it was you know tied up. They would lead one, we tie it up. I mean, it was back and forth the whole game. So from a fan's perspective, like you said, Steve, iconic game. I, you know, it was great to be part of. It. Hey, you know what? We all play the game in you know, a long time. And coach, you win some, you lose some, right? And there, there's got to be it's got to be a loser, which which always sucks, but. At the end of the day, you know, it was, a, it was a great game to be part of. Well, I just had Chris Gill, Dan Stroop, and Russ Hurd on the podcast a, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about <clears throat> we talked about the, the old Maple Leaf Gardens. And Russ Hurd, who you guys know is a, an illustrious eater, um, he was like, the guy would be walking behind us with hot dogs and popcorn, and I'd be like reaching into the guy's popcorn, you know, take my glove off, reach into his popcorn, and eat, start eating his popcorn. It was uh, – that was a special building, especially for lacrosse. I can't even imagine what it was like for hockey, but uh, it certainly um, launched the the Toronto Rock into kind of the stratosphere of of iconic and masthead franchises for the National Lacrosse League, and it still remains there today. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's a beauty. I, I mean, look, I put Rochester. I'm so happy we're back in Rochester because it's it is the Green Bay Packers of of our league, and and super excited about that. But you know, look, look, t- you guys have seen the gambit of players in the National Lacrosse League. Who's not in the Hall of Fame that you'd like to put there now? A lot of good players. <laughs> a lot of good players. Who who do you think though is kind of left out? Reg, I you know, present company accepted because. I know I certainly belong there, but maybe you, you know, anyway, I'm kidding. Um, at the end of the day, Reggie, I think you're certainly a shoe in for the hall of fame and, and belong there certainly as a great defender in your own right, but certainly as an American, uh, leader and pioneer for the, for the game in the U S and I would put you on that list, but who would you put on that list? I mean, you, you can. I mean, for American wise, I mean, you got guys like you know Jay Gelbert and, and and Jake Berge. I mean, I mean those guys fold up the net, played played a lot of seasons. You know, Tim Tim Sudan. I mean, there's. I mean, there's so many guys. I mean, I, I saw something on Twitter there a couple of weeks ago and like a list of guys, and I'm like, you know, there's another 30 guys, right? But uh, again, there, there, there's just so many spots there. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it'd be great to be in the Hall of Fame, and that's a, certainly a bonus. But I, I think. Uh, just the relationships over the years, you know, I, I think in uh, the memories, you know, is, is what I cherish the most. Unfortunately, mine are waning. So hopefully <laughs> it, I need them in writing. They got, you got to put them in the hall of fame because the memories go, I've been hitting the head a lot. Um, Mernsey, how about you? Who, who would you put into the hall if you could right now? You, you got You got one vote and that gets them in. Who's the guy? Well, hopefully he's already not in the Hall of Fame. I, I would say I would say Dewey Jacobs if he's not already there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was just so smooth. He, obviously a phenomenal phenomenal leader in its own right, and I appreciate what Reggie had the two man game. But you know, it's uh, he he was just he he was he was pretty much kind of like an unsung hero for 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 our team. Like he was kind of like, and again we we had you know him and and Paulie Gate like. You know, and, and, and he just brought so much to the table. 
you know, and, 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 he, and he didn't really speak a lot. But then when, you know, if, if, if something needed to be said at that time, you know, when Dewey would all of a sudden say, hey, boys, like, let's fucking go. Like, next thing you know, it's like, okay, like, Dewey spoke. So, like, we're doing something either right <laughs> or wrong. And so let's pick up the shit. Um, I would say Dewey. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's that's a great point. I, I agree. I just remember being in like the games when we were winning at the end, and Dewey was always a front door guy. And you know, the last minute, couple minutes, uh, he would play offense, and he'd come back, and he would send some, you know, stay at home defender, get out. I'm going on defense, and he'd go back with Mernsey and myself and play D because he wants to be out there the last couple minutes of the game. And and uh, and, and he was just, he was a gamer. He was a gamer. I, uh, we should probably make a shout out to Dewey, of course, who has gone on from his illustrious career as a lacrosse player to become, uh, an, an attorney, um, in his community and, and certainly the, the fantastic things that he does, uh, and has moved on to. And so tons of credit and shout out to Dewey. Um, you know, you had mentioned we should have him on the show, but I, I, it was too late and I couldn't replace Mernsey because I would have had to explain it to him. So, <laughs> um, appreciate that. Uh, no problem. Another quick break. Coronado Brewing Company is proud to be the official craft beer partner of the Seals. Enjoy fan favorite Orange Avenue Wit and their new Salty Crew Blonde Ale all season long and visit coronadobrewing.com to find their award-winning beers near you. Stay coastal. Cheers. So, hey, I'm going to say a name, and I want you guys to just respond uh, with kind of whatever comes to your mind about that guy. Uh, Jeremy Hollenbeck. Energizer Bunny. Didn't stop. Utility, stop. offense, defense. He reminds me of Connor Kelly now. I mean, he's he's uh, plays just like him, can play both ends of the floor, ground ball, score, play defense, but utility guy, he could do anything. Tim Sudan. Hard nose, wants to rock when the game's on the line. Loved him. Good leader. Phenomenal leader. Just awesome teammate, awesome guy. Just a great guy, man. And, again, both, both ways, old school two-way like Mernzak. Timmy Sudan about to go into the PLL bubble. By the time we air this, he will be in the bubble as the head coach of the Chrome, right? I think that's his new team. So uh, excited to see Tim Sudan uh, in his debut with the PLL. That's uh, exciting stuff for lacrosse in the middle of the COVID. So I'm sure we're all going to be glued to uh, NBC watching the PLL. So pump for him and pump for all those guys. Casey Powell. I feel as he developed, he was the best offensive American player. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely. Like, he, as, he, as he got used to the box lacrosse game and the things that I could – you just watch him do, both hands behind the back, swims, flips, uh, absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. I, I agree. I, and you're talking about that all-star game in Rochester, Mernsey. Remember in the, yeah. the, the skills, he did some, like, weird thing and ended up scoring. It was on, on Whipper or, or uh, Dallas Alec or someone there scoring there. But, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's franchise. You know, he's, that's what I think of I me. Mean, so I see him as a, he's a gamer. As my top Hall of Fame guy. You know, Casey Powell, Jake Berge. Couple, I mean, I got to play with Jake Berge, of course. But uh, the, that list, like you said, is so long. But Casey's got to be at the – Near the top of that list. Another guy that's probably near the top of a Hall of Fame list, John Grant Jr. Magic. Why just magic? Franchise. He won me a championship in 2007. You know, he's a playmaker, man. He's just, I mean, to have him on our team all those years is just, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, the the best. 
He's so good. He's been retired for five years from the Mammoth, and they're still showing his fucking videos. Oh. <laughs> well, and, he, and he's still, like, I mean, and, he, and he's still doing it in the MLL. Like, you'd, like, watch the stuff that he's still doing. Like, it's absolutely, like, insane on how gifted, like, and what he can do with a lacrosse stick. But, you know, that's the same thing, though. You know, it's, it's you know, he's always playing with the lacrosse stick. You know, it's uh, just absolutely amazing. Guy that you guys played against, and it's, he's been mentioned before here, is Jim Beltman. Scoop. Right, yep. Ground balls. <laughs> ground balls. Ground balls. Phenomenal leader. Will to win. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was a big part of, uh, you know, those, those, those championship teams. I mean, they had a phenomenal and solid team in, in Toronto. But, like, he was the catalyst. You know, I, I remember getting the opportunity in, in 93 playing uh, in Buffalo with, with Jim and, and with, uh, with JT. And they had already kind of developed – Hey, off the face-off, the ball's going to come here. I'm just going to one-time it, not look at you, flip it over, and then JT's just going to go run under it and then go score a breakaway goal. Like, just – they just already seen the seen, – seen what was going to happen before it would. And, uh, you know, just, just – just actually revolutionary. Yeah, and, and the energy, right? I mean, he was the energizer bunny. I mean, he would, he would just – Every ground ball, right? I mean, to see his ground ball stats and, and, and after a game was unbelievable. And it kind of felt like he always played with a hook in a stick, too, because he always had to kind of short hop it. Well, a lot of times, his old, I don't know if he even had shooting strings in there. It was right. Well, I'm pretty sure, though, the Toronto Rock, he was paying the stat guy to, get, to give him more <laughs> loose balls than everybody else. That's such a disparaging comment to Jimmy Veltman's unbelievable career. And uh, Brody Merrill just recently broke his record, I think. I mean, I think what people don't understand is that all the records that a lot of guys set in our era of, of National Lacrosse League and the, and the major indoor lacrosse league, we played eight games a year. Right. Early on, we played eight games. And the numbers that guys were putting up, like Gary and Paul putting up numbers like six or seven or eight points a game, right, is, was unbelievable. And if they played 16 games – Back then, if we played those 16 games, I'm not sure if if a lot of the stats would have been broken. Well, well, and you even kind of think back when we played, you know, a lot of it was still up, back, and off. I mean, there was the couple of the guys that kind of did the front door and started to evolve into that. But could you imagine Gary Gay, Paul Gay, you know, JT, like, and it kind of got to JT's end of the career where, like, listen, you're just on the floor every offensive shift. You just yeah, get to play offense every shift. You're playing against five guys like Reggie that their only their sole purpose in life is to kill you. <laughs> so offensively, it's harder today. Like with all due respect, I mean anybody going out back in the day playing defense, you, you know, you, you had to play defense or you had to play offense against guys like Tom Marichek and Kevin Finneran. You know, I mean, even I got to score a few goals when I was playing against guys like that. Yeah, it's. Uh... It just and then you kind of like look at the league as it is now, and maybe not necessarily for Reggie, but for uh, for, for for small guys like me, I, I go in and you get to go do uh, with, with the Bandits broadcasting, and you get to go down and below, and you look at the size of these guys now, like oh, there's man. no way, like how do you even survive? They're all like six four, six five, six six. These defensive guys are, and they're the same guys every offensive shift and or every defensive shift. It's like I wouldn't survive. Be a, be a short career, I think. We haven't hey. talked about your broadcasting career, by the way, as a color guy. You might be the most colorful color guy in the league. Well, I appreciate that. I don't know. I get into it. 
I get into it. You know, I got a great play-by-play guy with Gertz, and and then every time I want to say something, I punch him in the shoulder, and then he lets me just kind of <laughs> do my thing. You know, it's, and then, uh, you have to, then you have to read text from me all game long about how you're screwing up the rules. Well, you know, I mean, I got to try to get better at the rules. You know? <laughs> but, but, but see, that's why I can count on guys like you. Like, you know, but, but the best part about, you know, from, you know, you retire in 2003 and getting the opportunity to kind of do it is, is you just get to talk about the amazing things that at the time when I early retired, like with your friends and what they're doing on the floor, you know, and then, and then you kind of, as, as the time kind of went along and you get a little bit longer in the tooth and, and you got the next generation coming in and you get to kind of try to describe, you know, some of the, some of the amazing things that they do on the floor. Um, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's, I'm blessed to be able to have the opportunity to do it, honestly. Reggie, how proud were you when you watched your son kind of suit up for the first time in a league that you played in that, that I know you have a lot of regard for? Yeah. I mean, it, it was great. You know, I mean, anytime, you know, you can suit up with your son. I mean, you know that, Steve, you know, I mean, I think probably my, my best memories though were probably, you know, our, our summer league field team, you know, playing with my, my brother and then our, our kids, you know, th- throughout, throughout the, uh, you know, the, the last summers, the last 10 summers besides this summer, but you'll be able to, you know, just to be on the field and playing with them was certainly special, but then just watching them, you know, it's certainly special and see how they grow. And it was fun because he was always in the locker room with us and, 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 you know, he wanted to be, you know, John Grant Jr. trying to do his stick tricks and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, certainly uh, the guys are always really good to him, you know, and, uh, you know, and uh, that's part of the Nighthawk family, right? You, you take care of your own, your own, your own and your own kids. And I think uh, to have all the kids around the locker room throughout the years was, was a lot of fun. I'm going to throw one more name at you, and I know he's pretty close to you, Reg, but Marshall Abrams, who you've stand, you know, stood shoulder to shoulder with for a long time in this game as, as a fellow coach and a, and a fellow player, and, and I'm pretty sure you guys played at Syracuse together, didn't you? Uh, no, he's younger than me. I, I actually I, – I, I coached Marshall in high school at, when he was at Lafayette. He used to play uh, – he used to play uh, uh, man up with a long pole for me because he could just rip it, you know. And then uh, uh, he was supposed to go to Hallbar, and I saw this kid play, and I called up Coach Simmons at Syracuse. I said, this kid's got to, you know, wear, wear orange at Syracuse. He ended up going to Syracuse. But, uh, but, and then, then I got to play with him. You know, he was with the Columbus Landsharks, uh, and then he ended up getting traded to, to, to Rochester. So I got, then I got to play with him. And then having coached with him, you know, uh, in the NLL and also in Six Nations for so many years, so it was great. I, I got to coach him, play with him, and, and then and then uh, and then coach with him was 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 pretty cool. But his lacrosse IQ is just off the charts. He's smooth. I mean, his first year in his league, I think he put up 35, 40, 45 points for the Columbus Landsharks uh, playing offense. And then he got to us. We were, you know, we had Mernsey and and and, and Dewey and and, and me. We had a lot of offensive guys, so you know he ended up playing, uh, you know, kind of transition and backdoor for us. But uh, he's just smooth. I mean, he did it in college. He was unbelievable. Defender of the year in college, you know, defender of the year at uh, Syracuse. Won a couple national championships, and then uh, uh, won some championships in Rochester with us. So it was it was awesome to have him. I tell you what, when I get a sponsor for this show, I'm going to start giving out prizes for guys who name teams that have never been named before. And I think you just won by naming the Columbus Land Sharks. <laughs> Um, for the first time on the TFL podcast, the Columbus Land Sharks have have made the show. So uh, for, when I get a sponsor, you're the first guy to get a prize. Did, did it like uh, wasn't was Dan Dawson played there too, or was it Brody? Dan Dawson, sixth round draft pick for the Columbus Land Sharks. Oh, okay. I think Mark Stanos was there as well. Was he really? Yeah. 
Yeah. Best story about the Columbus Land Sharks, and you guys remember Mike Gongas as an owner in our league. He, was a, <laughs> he owned the New York uh, Saints, Saints, and then yep. he also took on the Columbus Land Sharks, and he would collect all the guys' backup sticks after after games, and he'd keep them because he didn't. He was so cheap that he didn't want them to take home their backup sticks because he was going to use them for a camp the next day. I'm going to get that dues into you too. Let me get them. Send them that checkout. Yeah. Send them that checkout. Exactly. You know, another, another guy in Roch that I thought, uh, you know, just again, I, I think just dedication that always really impressed me was an American player and, and it's Patty Kugavin. Because mm-hmm. for oh, yeah. three or four years, he was a practice player. Because back in the day, we had the practice player. You know, but he wasn't there yet. He couldn't make it into the lineup yet. And, you know, as you're coaching, like you need the win or you could be out of a coaching job. Uh, but he just stayed after it and after it and after it and then kind of became the, the other foundation along with Marshall, with Reggie, as kind of like these two gargantuan defensive guys. I mean, Reggie, you probably can speak probably more to it, but he was one of the guys as a practice roster that just kept on trying to get better and better and better. And, uh, and I was respected that of Patty. I mean, you know, and, and finally getting into the lineup and, and then actually, you know, competing and winning. Uh, yeah, no, he, 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 he had a play in 10 years, and, and Pat and I played together at Syracuse. No, he was, he was steady at it, not, not flashy, you know, but, uh, boy, I, I know Colin Doyle hate, used to hate it playing against him. So <laughs> uh, but he, ended up, he ended up going practice squad, I think, one or two years, and then playing 10, 10 active years. So he had a great career and certainly an unsung hero for sure and an unbelievable player and, and, and teammate. So for all those guys out there that want to play in the National Cross League and they don't want to start on the practice roster because they were the star of their team in college or high school or whatever, your advice to them would be suck it up, Buttercup, get on the practice squad, learn the game, right? Learn the game, yeah, absolutely. You know, because I think back in the day as well, like it, it, that's what kind of ended up happening. If you're on the practice roster, you didn't get into a game, and then the next year you just like weren't really around anymore. You know, and that's where I, like with, with Patty, you just kept on coming back. And coming back and and basically saying like fuck that like I'm making this team and uh, you know and then had a ten year career from it. Yeah, Casey Zapp, he was a practice player in Buffalo and got you know ended up coming out to Rochester and he played you know played up up to his injury there. He was he was unbelievable for us. It's, it's funny you say Casey Zapp because I was literally just going to bring him up and say say a few words about Casey Zapp because obviously a tragic end to his career uh, with with uh, you know what he suffered, but ultimately I am hearing. Uh, that he is coming out of it and uh, and functioning in life and and doing quite well and so shout out to Casey Zaff. Yeah, he he just got a coach of the year for his league there. I'm not sure if it was lacrosse or or what sport it was because he coaches his um, his school a couple different sports. But Casey was awesome, you know. And mm-hmm. it's funny I saw on Twitter with the PLL guys and some MLL guys. They're all like chirping about why would a kid wear a helmet in warmups and you know anyone from Canada you know or, or even played in the NLL even even a lot of Americans don't know but you know I mean we were in Philadelphia there in, in case he was out there for warmups and you know got hit you know hit, hit with a, a ball on the head and that's all that's all started he couldn't play that game you know so you know people were on Twitter there I think it was three or four days ago back and forth oh it's stupid to wear blah 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 I, I felt like chiming in but I don't do that but I'm just like you know, anyone who knows, you know, you know, it's, you just never know. Right. And, and to, to be there and witness Casey getting hit. And then what happened afterwards is just, I mean, fighting for his life and, and he's got his family and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not, not a bad thing to wear a helmet in the, in the warm up. So hopefully the, you know, the pe- people will, will, will get some, uh, uh, some sense. Right. So 
I close the show with the same question, and and some might say I ask all the same questions anyway, and and mainly because I want to hear the same the the different questions answered by different guys. But um, I I did ask. It was quite funny actually. I asked this question um, a couple times. And one of the guys said, I, I don't watch TV. I don't know what this is. So the question was tough. But you guys, I'm sure, are 30 for 30 guys on ESPN. And if you could do a 30 for 30 about the National Lacrosse League, about our history in the mill, about lacrosse in general, what would your 30 for 30 be, Reg? That's a good question. You know, I, I didn't see that one on the thing. but uh, I know. It's a great question because <laughs> you didn't you know, go to the bottom. What the fuck? Yeah. I, I always love like the the thirty for thirty like, is uh, the one on uh, ESPN with the Belichick and um, uh, the, the coaches, you know. So maybe like a Les Bartley or something. You know, I, I've heard so much great things, amazing things about Les Bartley and his kind of coaching tree of all these great coaches and some that I've I've played for and never really knew knew the guy, you know, but but heard nothing but great things. But maybe like a coaching documentary on on him or a thirty for thirty would be pretty cool. Mersey, how about you? Yeah. I think it would be with Gary and Paul Gate and specific to the NLL, the MLL, and what their contribution was and, you know, and, and having relationships with the owners back in the day with Russ Klein and Chris Fritz and not knowing what that was, but what they meant to the sport to actually get it continually more and more professional and more off the ground, you know, because that, you know, that Eagle League and the MLL, you know, all those early days – you know, hey, they 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 were the attract. Like in some sense, they were the attraction. I mean, that's Gary Gate and that's Paul Gate and 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 you know, advising and 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 you know, and then the owners and the whole bit because you got to have those players to continue to evolve the you know to to evolve the league. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just think that it would be great to be the fly on the wall in terms of a lot of those conversations back in the day of going like. Well, how can we help influence this to move this forward to give a guy like me, hey, an opportunity, you know, you know, to to play, you know, I I think that that would be uh, that would be an awesome documentary for sure. And yeah, plus for the for the young guys, the current players to see, right? Because now they're you know, it's you know, seems so much more about money in that. Steve, you know better than anyone, right? And and uh, it'd be it'd be cool to have them go back to you know the the, the heydays, right? When the in kind of the the grassroots guys of, of what they were doing to, to make ends meet, to, to, to be able to play. And then that transition from the MILL to the NLL. Well, Paul was on the podcast early on and told the story of kind of uh, the, how the NLL turned to the, uh, or sorry, how the mill turned into the NLL in the summer of 1997. And just that, the premise of that particular pinpoint in history of, of how it really changed the game for all of us. And, uh, you know, and Paul was a huge part of that. I mean, just a massive part of that. And obviously Gary as well, but, um, you know, I, I've really, uh, enjoyed spending time with you guys. It's been a ton of fun. Um, it, it's, it's great to tell the old stories of the game and, and hopefully we can get more people, uh, engaged and talking about it, but, uh, best of luck at in, in Pittsburgh Reg and and uh with the new women's gig you got going there and obviously with Team USA we we look for big things for all those players in the future and I know you got a ton of kids coming out of Colorado and Ohio and a bunch of kids that you're going to you're going to get to choose from in the not too distant future um and the US indoor game is coming and I'm super excited to watch for that because I think we need that 
uh, without question to help grow our game as we continue to expand in, in the West and, and the Southwest and, and all over uh, the, the U.S. Uh, the National Lacrosse League is looking for you to do big things uh, to develop those players for us in the future. And, and I'm excited about that. So, Reg, good luck. Mernsey. To the Bonnies, hopefully you get back on the field and, and I get to see your students in the fall here. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, watching for big things for you up in, uh, up in uh, New York. Yeah, appreciate it, Steve. Thanks for having me on and uh, keep this thing going. Love it. I listen to the podcast, so I might be one of the few, but uh, it'll uh, <laughs> well, you're the guy. continue to get better and better and better. You're like the Canadian Navy. We only got one ship, but That's you're it. the one. <laughs> Thanks for having us, Steve. Appreciate it. Mernsey, always right, good catching up. Reggie, good catching up, brother. We'll talk soon. <laughs>